negative experiences. He uses our positive experiences. And he's using them uh, to mold us so that he can use us in other people's lives. We looked at, last time we met, we looked at David's life uh, with the David and with his, his uh, victory over Goliath and how God was preparing him to be king and his trust in God and how wonderful that was. But you know, there's a negative part of David's life too. We can't get past that. God doesn't get past it. He, you ever had the thought? It was when I was younger, okay? It says it wasn't like last week, so don't get worried. It's like, I wonder if, imagine if God's writing another Bible. I wonder if I was in it. Oh, that'd be terrifying, <laughs> right? I mean, David's life has been out there for everybody over the last, you know, 3,000 years or so. And, uh, but this is, this is, I'll tell you what, this is a great evidence that the Bible is divine in origin and not human in origin. Because we do not go out there willy-nilly and start writing about all of our negative things. I mean, we, we, tr- we try to like keep the image management just right, right? And uh, we might give a little bit out so you don't put somebody on a pedestal too much, right? We don't like that. But we just don't offer up all of, all of this stuff that goes on in our heart and mind at times and sometimes in our actions. And, and uh, boy, God, God doesn't hold back here. He pulls the veil back for us. We see David's heart. We see his actions. We see his downfall. We see his mistakes, his uh, sin. I mean, some deep sin that came into, into his life. But through this part of David's journey, what we're going to see, what the victory part of... And we, it was easy to see the last time the victory was Goliath, and that's awesome. Yeah, took down the giant. We can think of the giants in our life that we need to take out by faith. But there's... Another aspect of victory, and it's the response in our life and heart when sin comes. There's victory there as well that we need to operate in. And we're going to look at that today. There was a a soldier during uh, America's war for independence over those uh, wily British, right, who wanted to to have complete rule. I mean, we understand this was a... This was a, uh, a British, uh, the, the original 13 colonies, right? It was originally British uh, controlled. And they were all people from Britain that came over. And they came over by the, with the authority of England. And they started, uh, of course, populating here. We understand all of that history back there in colonial America. It was colonized. That's where you get colonial, right? Colonized. It was colonized by England. And uh, came to a point in time when the... We said, no, no, we don't like this anymore. This is a bad setup. It's good for you, bad for us. Uh, we want our independence. And, of course, Britain's like, uh-uh, you know. Why? Because they like to control that stuff, and there's, there's uh, things here that benefit them. And so during this war for our independence, right, um, there, is a certain, there is a certain individual, a certain soldier who rose up in the ranks uh, over, over the, those few years of uh, dur- during this uh, uh, during this war with Britain, and um, <clears throat> he worked his way up. He, he worked his way up into the ranks. He was uh, pretty arrogant. He was pretty extravagant. He was pretty pompous. He was uh, kind of an eccentric man, but he was he was good at what he did. He was pretty powerful. He was pretty shrewd, and uh, but like drives most people. He craved power. Come on, let me ask you this. Why does an 85-year-old, 90-year-old still run for Senate? 
Come on. It's power. It's power. And if you've ever tasted of power, it's hard to relinquish power. Think of the little avenues of your life that you have power of, and God comes and says, no, I think I want that, and you go, hmm. And it's not even a big deal, right? Think about, think about having the power over the trajectory of world history. That's power. And this man craved power. <clears throat> he craved power so much that he did anything. He did anything to keep uh, his position um, of, of power and control within, <clears throat> within our American military. And when the American commander... Here is, I've got his name here, General Horatio Gates. When he relieved Benedict Arnold of his command during the Battle of Saratoga, Benedict Arnold's anger and jealousy got brutal, right? He was so angry, right? He was power hungry. He got so angry that he became so bitter and jealous and he found himself in a financial problem. So we know what he did, right? What did Benedict Arnold do? He went and he conspired with the British against his own nation, right? And he became a traitor and treasonous against his own nation. And he eventually betrayed West Point in an act of treason. And he hated America. He, 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 he had great disdain for the nation. And uh, Benedict Arnold's name is still synonymous with treachery and treason. All you have to say is that guy's a Benedict Arnold and you know exactly what he is. You know, sin will always take us farther than we, when, than we want to go, doesn't it? It always does. Benedict Arnold's pride led him to betray his own country. Think about that. A little bit of pride and power led him to betray his own country. And you know, in our story today, we're going to see this, that Saul's jealousy... <clears throat> led to cruel, cruel behavior. And David's failure to go to battle led to adultery. We're going to look at this failure today. And uh, last week we saw, uh, like I said, David was was uh, mighty against Goliath. Boy, he just came out strong. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better scenario, a greater picture of faith and confidence in God, and a greater outcome of that confidence and faith. It was awesome. And uh, But today we're going to learn about David's journey to Zion, Jerusalem. He's onward. He's going onward and upward from Goliath. He's going upward and onward to his position as king over Israel. And he's moved the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. And in the middle of David's life, we're going to come in. He's king now. He's on the throne now. The, the, the family of Saul, of Saul has been put down now. And David is ruling on the throne. He's been there for some time. And we're going to see some incredible tragedies as well as triumphs come in David's life. What was the great trial of David? We're in 1 Samuel chapter 18 if you want to make your way there. 1 Samuel chapter 18 today. David's great trial in his life was at the beginning was Saul's relentless pursuit of him. I mean Saul had it out for the guy. You talk about jealousy. Saul hated David. David really didn't do anything, but was excellent at what he did. You know, that should mark our life, right? Excellence. In everything that we do, we should mark our life by being the very best that we can be. Whether it's, whether it's in a trade, whether it's uh, as, a, as a, a mother, as a father, uh, as a retiree. Brother Neil, you should be the best, most excellent retiree there is in the world. And I know you're, you're doing well at it, right? 
He was doing excellent at it. And so, uh, excellence in everything, in absolutely everything. And so this was, this is what really got Saul, was David's excellence in his life. And here David was uh, a part of Saul's life. He was part of helping Saul. Remember, he called him in, had him pray the, play the harp for him and soothe the evil spirits that was over Saul. I can tell you, can I tell you this? I've told you before, I'll remind you again this morning. Sometimes you just gotta, sometimes it's like you get, get an evil spirit come over the house. Just getting what you call a funk. Just ugh. don't even know what it is. Find some godly music and go put it on. It helps. It absolutely helps. The whole atmosphere of the home. You'll watch it change. And so, and I said godly music. And if you have questions about that, ask me later now. I'll help you on that as well. But David gives, the Bible gives us a great insight into David's trial. If you're in 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Now David's doing nothing out of the ordinary. He's not like usurping Saul's authority. He's not undermining Saul. He's doing exactly what he has always done at other times. This spirit comes over Saul and he says, where's the musician? Where's the minstrel? And David comes in and he plays his harp as at other times and the evil spirit goes away. And it goes on to say, and Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Remember when Saul sinned, he didn't wait for Samuel to show up and he did the sacrifice anyway. And he went against the Lord and, and, and God told Saul, the kingdom has departed from you. I have taken it from you and I've given it to somebody. This, this was God's words, better than you. You talk about cutting like a knife, better than you, Right. And so this jealousy has, has come up in Saul against David. David didn't say, I'm better than you. David wasn't even attempting to be better than Saul. He was just trying to do what he, he, what he was asked to do. But he, watch this, Saul was afraid. This is what the Bible says. He was afraid of David because Saul knew God was with this kid. And, I, and Saul knew this. He's not with me anymore. Boy, that created some real jealousy. And notice the reason for the trial Look at verse 6 through 9, and it came to pass, I'm sorry, where am I at? Verse 6, yeah. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets of, with joy and with instruments of music. This is sounding pretty good, right? Come back from the battle. This is good. Awesome. They're coming out to greet Saul, the great king. He's led, the, led Israel in battle, and here they're coming back, and it's looking good. But, uh-oh, look at verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands. Yeah, this is wonderful. This is good. This, this helps the ego of, of Saul, who's let down and... And, 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 and is despondent because of the word that came from God that he's taken the kingdom away from him. Saul has killed his thousands. Yeah. And David is ten thousands. Oh. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll let the air out of your sail, the wind out of your sails, huh? Ouch. This is, this is where David's trial came from. 
Did da- hey, did David write the music score and write the lyrics? Okay, ladies, Saul's coming. Here's your song. Here's what we're going to do. And they're practicing away. Okay. David had nothing to do with it, right? But boy, that rage welled up in him. Come on, you've been there. I've been there. You get some jealousy against somebody. They did nothing except the, what is perceived in your own mind. And you realize later, well, that was stupid. Poor, poor gal, poor guy. They didn't, they didn't know. And here I'm seething over here out of some jealousy. This verse gives record of David's increasing popularity, right? He, they're, they're starting to love him. They're, he's starting to be accepted among the Israelites. And it is just chapping Saul's hide. I mean, he does not like this. Look at verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and he came in before them. David was for them. They saw David as somebody, you know, kind of like there's a, there's a guy running for president who seems like he's actually for his country. And there's one that's running for president or somebody's running through him or with, I don't know how it goes, but who seems like he's not for his country. No, no, they looked at David and they said, he's for us. I mean, he took out Goliath. He's for us. Just the way he operated. I mean, the, 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 the city, the, the, the Israel began to love David. And watch, the calling of God of David was, was evident to all of those who looked at his life. Yeah. You ever, know, know, you ever been in a church setting where somebody, um, a man stepped forward and said, God's called me to preach. And you go, well, yeah. That's obvious. I knew that was coming. I mean, it was just evident. You ever see somebody say, God called us into the ministry? And people go, really? I'm telling you, the calling of God is, becomes confirmed around those around. And uh, David was being confirmed by the people all around him. Yeah, this was God's choice. And it is evident of that. And though his, his many victories in battle, and through those victories in battle, David became a, he, he just became a hero in Israel. He still is today, right? right? The Messiah, Jesus, he's going to sit on the throne of David for a thousand years and rule and reign from Jerusalem literally and physically in the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, he is a hero in Israel. And the children of Israel began to sing praises to David, not just Saul. Oh, no, they still included Saul because he's king, right? I mean, how can you not mention that? Oh, yeah, Saul. Oh, but David. Oh, David. Yeah, David's awesome. Yeah, Saul's pretty cool, but man, David, yeah. It's like, Saul's like, uh, hello? Right? Uh, you know, David's increase in popularity was the mechanism, the tool that God used to reveal Saul's heart. I like what one of our daughters tells, used to tell their kids all the time. You know, when you got four kids... Uh, one of them is going to get to do something sometime that the other is not going to. Somebody's going to get a present that the other is not going to get, right? There's always going to be uh, the, the, the time of what, what, what is not deemed as fair, right? That word wasn't allowed in our house. It's not fair, right? right life's not fair. Get over it. So, it's, it's, right. But they, and, you know, when, when this would happen in their home and somebody would say, one of them would say, well, I, they, well, look at that, what they got to do. And she would say, you be happy for them. Don't be, you be happy for them. And I like that. That's a good thing. We ought to be. Because you know what that is? That's gratitude and thankfulness. 
And when gratitude and thankfulness goes away, we, we, listen, we get a sense of entitlement thinking that we're owed stuff. I mean, we're living in a generation, and it's not just young people, uh, folks, it is old people that are living in this, this place of entitlement, and it's seen in churches and among Christians, and I'm telling you, that is a spiritual problem. It is a spiritual problem of unthankfulness, of ingratitude, watch, of a lack of trust, a lack of faith. You know, the Bible tells us over, I think it's, was it over in Hebrews where he tells us, um, he says, uh, to be thankful for such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So trust and thankfulness is connected to, I mean, thankfulness and gratitude and a lack of covetousness is connected to trust. You know why you're not, you're not grateful? Because you don't trust God. You're not trusting him. You know why you're not there's no gratitude. I'm telling you, this is, and this is what happens. God begins to reveal the heart of us when somebody else begins to do well and do better. And we go, mm, why do they get that? Why don't I get that? Can I tell you what? Every one of us in the context of every individual life here, whatever, listen, wherever, whatever life you're coming from, whatever uh, the context of your life is, every one of us could look at somebody else that would have more than us and is doing better than us. Everybody. You say, well, I don't have what you have, but I could take you. Listen, you know what I know nobody in this room did this morning? In this room, anybody listening online? If we could fill this room with 100,000 Americans, if we could cram in, because that's how many we have in here, you know. If you could cram in uh, a million Americans in here, not one of them got up this morning and ran through the gutter to find breakfast like they do in India. Not one. Yeah. And even if they didn't have anything for breakfast, guarantee all of them, without breakfast, pulled out one of these. Not a tract. They should have. One of these, right? And began to... Yeah, how many breakfasts could you buy with one of these monthly events? No, I'm just telling you, no matter where you are in life, we have something to be grateful and thankful for. And quit looking at everybody else. Somebody's looking at you going, oh, I wish I had that. They really are. Yeah. And so his, the, the, the popularity of David began to reveal the heart of Saul and what was going on when, when these, uh, these unbeknownst to these ladies who thought they were doing well said Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. This, was, uh, this is a terrible thing. Comparison. Don't fall in the trap of comparing yourself to somebody else. Don't fall in that trap. Live a life of gratitude. Live a life of thankfulness. Live a life of trust. There are two cows that were grazing out in the pasture one day. And while they were grazing, a couple Holsteins, could have been some milk and Swiss, but you know, nobody knows that. They're just, they're, they're Holsteins. Everybody knows what a black and white Holstein is. We had some friends when we lived in New England. Of course, it's heavily Jewish in New England. And uh, they went on a trip out west the, the mother was from Louisiana originally, and she had met her husband. They, he was stationed up in New England or whatever in the Air Force. And uh, they were out on vacation out west and passed a field of cows. And mom goes, oh, those are Holsteins. And it was kind of quiet. And the boy, their son in the back goes, well, how do they know they're Jewish? <laughs> Holstein, yeah. And so the true story, that's a true story. Anyway, so these, these two cows are out in the field, these two Holsteins, and they're just eating, eating the grass and eating away there, enjoying life. And a truck goes by, a milk truck goes by, and it says on the side of the truck, the milk truck, the words, pasteurized 
homogenized, standardized, and vitamin D added. One of the cows sighed and said to the other, kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? (laughs) Got to add all that to what we produce. Saul's problem of fear is also revealed in uh, how he dealt with David personally. And Saul, Saul, we're here back in chapter 18 again, that God was with David in that he behaved, David, watch, David behaved himself wisely. Saul saw that. It just irritated him. Why? Well, because that's not Saul. He didn't behave himself wisely. Yeah. And we're going to see this here. Look at verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. He was departed from Saul. Notice the response to the trial of what's going on here in David's life. Because of Saul's jealousy, David ends up having to run away. He actually has to get out of there. He, he, he knew it would be wrong to fight against God's anointed. And what a time, what, what, what a revelation of that is of David's heart. He said, I'm not going to touch. I, he, when, when he had the opportunity to kill Saul at En Gedi, I was in En Gedi, it's beautiful. And you go in the very back of this, ca- this, this canyon and you walk way back to the back of this canyon where waterfalls are coming out. These probably three, four hundred feet up of these canyon walls right in the middle of, of, of the desert there. And uh, it's just a beautiful setting. And you can see in these little caves here and there. I mean, part of it's fallen in over the last 3,000 years. And there's no way to say which cave uh, David was in, which cave Saul was in. But this, there's no way that this wasn't in Getty. This was in Getty. And uh, you remember David's in the, in the cave and, and Saul's in there as well. David's been hiding. Saul comes in and one of David's men says, God's delivered him into your hand. Get him now. Remember, he's running from him. And the Bible says he cut a piece of the skirt off of Saul, a piece of his robe, cut it off. And then the Bible says it smote David in the heart. He says, I, I'm not gonna, I can't lay my hand against God as God's anointed. Right? Wait, you say, Saul is throwing javelins at him. Still God's, still God's man. No, don't, don't worry, God's going to deal with God, God is going to deal with Saul one of these days. We know that. He's going to deal with him. He's going to die. And the kingdom's going to go to David. But listen, don't let somebody else's bad decisions move you to make a bad decision also. Yeah. Don't do that. If your kids are making bad decisions, don't make it worse by making bad decisions based on their bad decisions. Right. Well, they've just given up on God, so I don't know what else to do. And now you're going to start laying out from church. Well, what? That makes no sense, right? We don't do that, <laughs> okay? And so David realized his heart smote him, though, that God said, no, you don't touch my anointed. And he came away from that, and he repented of that. And this is, you see here, this is how David has responded to Saul. I'm not going to, he's not going to raise his hand against God's anointed. The only thing he has left to do now is to run away. And this is how he responds. He's got to get out of there. Look at chapter 19. Look at verse 10. 19.10. Look at, look at what happens. 
And Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. And so after he got out of the way of Saul and got out of there and ran away, he finally sought some, some refuge in the cave of Adullam, and he hid there. And uh, while he was hiding there, many watch many others who are really kind of somewhat in the same place of David in Israel. Saul was just a tyrant. He was going crazy. Yeah. You know what you'll find out? Let me add this little tidbit. You know what you'll, you'll notice in life? You live long enough, you know what you'll notice? People that get away from God go nuts. They do the craziest stuff. Crazy. I mean, it's like, it's, it just doesn't make sense sometimes. Right? And Saul's just gone crazy here. And all of Israel, now what you know has happened, all these people are coming out from Israel. They're going to the cave of Adullam and coming to David to try to find some comfort. They're all in the same boat here. In 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22, just listen to what it says here. Verses 1 and 2, David therefore departed thence and escaped to cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captive over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And eventually David became so discouraged in his trial. Notice what it says here. Listen to 1 Samuel 27, verse 1 and 2. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me to do than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. Watch, David, David was so distressed over the condition with Saul that he eventually went and fled to the enemy. Yeah. I like what Roloff said. Eventually... David was fighting for the Philistines. He was, he, was, he was doing well for them, right? And finally, one of the captains said, we can't have this guy go with us. I mean, we're fighting his people. He's going to turn on us. And so he, uh, uh, the one man, the one general comes to David and said, I hate to tell you this, but you can't come with us on this one. Well, David said, what have I done wrong? I haven't done anything wrong. I know, I know. You just, you can't come with us. Roloff said, it's the only... Only time you'll see, only time you ever, I've ever seen, I said, an honorable discharge from a dishonorable army. <laughs> yeah, he was kicked out. Yeah. He couldn't stay there. I'm trying to think. Oh man, I don't know if you know this a while back, but. Uh, Brother Neil, he didn't. He said it wasn't intentional. But Judy couldn't help but wondering, boy, you're so easy to pick on today. Judy wasn't. Couldn't help but wondering if his uh, spelling was kind of the way he spelled was kind of revealing a little discontent in their marriage. He'd been married what, 38 years? 38 years. Yeah. He gave her a card a few weeks ago. Remember they came up? Was that last week? Yeah, came up last week. He gave her gave her a card. It was really nice. And uh, on the card to Miss Judy, uh, he misspelled the word milestone. And he wrote, our 38th anniversary is a real millstone. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. 
No, milestone, not millstone, right? Milestone. I tell you what, it's, uh, you can become discouraged <laughs> in a trial and sometimes, watch, sometimes words come out like David's. Well, I'm dead. Nothing I can do, right? What was that old cartoon, Chris? It'll never work. We're doomed, right? Was that Gulliver or something like that? And I tell you, that was a long time ago. But I mean, this can start coming out, right? Coming out of our speech and out of our words and the way we react. I mean, it's just despair and discouragement, like a millstone, right? He didn't really, he didn't really do that, okay? I, you know, that was all just totally made up. But anyway, uh, but this can happen. This is where David was living. But here's his rest in the trial. It's a serious trial, but here's the rest. His friend Jonathan, his wife Michael, they help protect himself. They help him flee. They help him get out of there. They help him run away. And David's ultimate hope, yes, it was absolutely in the Lord. He was hiding. Now picture this. He's hiding from Saul in the wilderness. He's discouraged. But watch, he finally came to the place where his rest was found in God. Can I tell you that's a choice? He eventually had to choose to do that. He had to choose. After he trying to trying to stay, you know, after the events that happened in Ziklag, right? And he kind of had to go back and get the wives and the kids and the stuff and come back again. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, the Bible says this, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What happened while they were at fighting? This band of Egyptians came through, took away all the wives and the children, burned the city uh, there at Ziklag and took them away. And, and all the, they got back to the city after this battle. David and his men, it's like, where's everybody at? Right? It's like coming home and it's empty and the house is burnt down. The wife and the kids are gone. I mean, this is, that'd be, I mean it, was, it was overwhelming to them. And they wanted to stone him. They were so mad. How would you let this happen? Right. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Right? He encouraged himself. God never forsook David. No, it was a trial. God never forsook David. So what he did was he encouraged himself. He encouraged himself. He couldn't find courage in Saul. He couldn't find the courage he needed in David. He couldn't find the courage he needed in his wife. The courage that he needed wasn't found in people. It wasn't found in circumstances. It wasn't found in things. It was the encouragement that he needed was only found in God. What was the encouragement? Well, what's the encouragement we have today? What can we go to? All right? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. What can we go to? We go back to Jeremiah. I know the thoughts I have of thee. Not thoughts of evil, but thoughts of good to give you an expected end. No, we go back to the word of God to encourage ourselves when there is nowhere else to find encouragement. And listen, it's, it's, it's not that, well, if I just had the right circumstance, I could find the encouragement I need here. No, there is nothing in this life that can offer the encouragement that we need in God. It's not that it's just insufficient. God didn't design it to, to, for our encouragement to come from these things. He designed the, our life, He designed this world for our encouragement to come from Him. But secondly, we're not going to get there today. I'm going to stop here. We saw David had a great, great victory in this trial. 
We don't know what it's like being hunted down. I mean, maybe we do in our own way, in our own world, right? It's not from some king who's mad because you killed more than he did, right? But uh, jealousy still rears up. People still get, you know, uh, jealousy rears up. Oh, they got that friend. I wanted that friend, right? Oh, they got this job. I wanted that job. I mean, it comes all different ways, doesn't it? Right? And it rears up and... We have to know how to respond. Sometimes the only way we can respond is, is by finding our encouragement of the Lord. But what David's going to find secondly here is a great temptation. And when we come to this place in the text, David is now king. Saul has died. Jonathan has died. Um, their, their bodies were hung on the wall there at, that, at, the, at the wall of that city. That mountaintop is still there. I've seen it. It's a big flat. It's called, in Israel, it's called a tell. You hear the, like the city's Tel Aviv? Tel means a hilltop, hill. And uh, they're elevated place. This big tell right there where there's big castle walls and it's where the city where Jonathan and, and uh, Saul were hanged, hanged on. They were beheaded and they were hung up there on the wall. And uh, so David is now king. And things are going well. He's brought the kingdom up to Jerusalem. He's in control. Family of Saul is gone. And now one of the greatest trials of his life one of the greatest problems that's going to come into his life is a temptation. And we know what this is. This is the temptation that came with Bathsheba. Have you ever found an irony in names? How many remember Bernie Madoff? Who made off with everybody's money? There's a young boy who wrote a book about his, he's about 11 years old, wrote a book about going to heaven. And, uh, his mother actually finally wrote the publisher and said he made it up. He made it up. They printed it anyway. I've got the article. And uh, their last name's Malarkey. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but phonetically, it's Malarkey, right? And here we have Bathsheba <laughs> taking a bath. You know, sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. And uh, we're going to look at this, this uh, next week. But uh, on David's road... Right, one of the greatest, the greatest uh, trials that he's going to have to overcome is a trial within his own flesh. How many? How many know this? Some of your greatest enemies looking in the mirror at you. Some of the greatest problems you have in life is not with your neighbor, not with your spouse, not with your kids. It's with you. It's with you. Watch this. We're going to look at this next week. God's going to show us how we have victory over you, over us, over ourselves. And it's very simple, actually. Okay? We'll look at that next week. I don't know where God has you today, and, uh, but we see here through David's life, trials are going to come. Trials are going to come. We're going to have opposition in our life. People are going to come against us. When we try to do the will of God, those, those that, uh, 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 you know, how does that go? Um, I always, I hate when I do this. Starting off a verse, uh, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, right? It's coming. It is coming. But the way we respond to that is the difference. And one of the ways we, we find that what we need to get through that type of a trial is we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. You'll notice some people when troubles come to their life, they, they, they turn to Google. Right? What do we do when the landlord says, get out? <laughs> right? Uh, well, if you're in this state, just stay. You have squatter's rights. So now you're a squatter. No. 
I mean, no, watch. When trials come into our life, what we turn to reveals where we're at in our heart. David and every watch. I said this, I think, Wednesday night. At every place, when trials came into Moses' life, Moses turned to God. He turned to prayer. He went before God and said, hey, I didn't, I didn't ask for these people. He was honest with them. I didn't, I didn't want this. I didn't want to do this. It's, this is your problem. You, you, know, you deal with it, right? And uh, he, he turned to God every time, every time. This is David's pattern as well. He just always turned to the Lord. Look at the Psalms. The Psalms are, are the songs of David. Uh, every time the trial came, so many of them, of the Psalms, are, are the trials coming into David's life and how he turns to the Lord for the, in those time of trials. This was a pattern of his life, but oh, there's something coming up that gets him. And we're going to see how he responds to that. How do you respond when trials come? Do you turn to the Lord immediately or do you turn to something else first and finally go, oh yeah. Well, God, what do you think? Right. We do that, don't we? Yeah. And uh, may God help us. Listen, the trials that are going through our lives, remember what I said. God's using them to mold us, make us, to use us in somebody else's life. And how useful are we in somebody else's life when we say, well, did you see that episode of Dr. Phil? He actually deals with this. It's a really good episode. I'll send it to you. Right. Instead of saying, what does the Word of God say? Let me show you what God says. Here's where the help is, right? Yeah. Poor Dr. Phil. He has no idea how much he gets mentioned from pulpits, I'm sure. May God help us to respond. Listen, the, 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 the journey in our life is on a purpose, and God's molding us. If we're going to be, listen, if we're going to be helpful and useful, we need to get into the pattern every time when whatever the trial comes in our life that we turn to Him first, that our heart is towards Him. Not blaming Him, right, but turning to Him. And even when we blame him, right, God has a wonderful way of saying, okay, it's not me, right? And he has a way of tempering our, our temper sometimes, doesn't he? Thankful for that, amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the journey that you bring us on. We have trials that come into our life. We're told to give thanks in everything, so we thank you for the trials that you allow in our life. We thank you for the time that the trials reveal our heart. It helps us. It helps us pers- uh, It helps me when I see how at times uh, when I've responded incorrectly to a trial and I've been able to look at my own heart and go, oh, why would I respond like that? And cause me to seek you and seek how to, how to change that and be more conformed to the image of Christ. We thank, so we thank you for the trials. We thank you for the instruction. We thank you for the hard times that you have not only allowed into our life to help us, but you've allowed it into our life to help others through us. And we ask you as you do that work in us and through us that we'd be faithful and we'd keep our eyes upon you and our heart towards you. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be dismissed. We'll be back in a few minutes.